Good morning. It's good to see you today. My name is Dave. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to be with you today. Glad you joined us for our gathered worship time. Um, like Ashley said, we are right at the tail end of this series we've been calling We Are. We're talking about distinctives we believe must mark us and define us as a church, as people who are walking with Jesus together in this world. Today we're on number six. There's going to be a seven of them total, and so we're almost to the end. For me, at least, this has been um, a kind of a, a wonderful series in the sense that I, not a week goes by where a number of the distinctives aren't challenging me, aren't turning me and reshaping me and reorienting the way I'm living my life. And so I hope you're having the same experience. That's, that's why we're doing this, this series, to lean more into who is Jesus calling us to be as his followers in this world? And as we dive in this morning to number six, I want to ask you to think about something that you like to do and that you would love to excel at. It doesn't have to be a spiritual thing. I know you're in church, and so don't choose reading the Bible. Um, <laughs> just something that you love to do... Uh, a hobby, a, a job at work, something that you are tasked with that you'd love to be better at, that you'd love to be really great at. Maybe uh, it's teaching or leading or managing or designing or building or coaching. Maybe it's cooking or painting or fishing or biking or writing or golfing or singing or playing an instrument of some kinds. But whatever it is, think about something that you like to do, you'd love to excel at. And now I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine that the predominant expert or one of the predominant experts in that field, someone that you admire and look up to, a master of that art, if you will, came along to you and said, I would like to take you under my wing. I would really love for you to be my student, my apprentice, and I'll teach you how to master this art. In fact, if it's okay with you, we could just spend an entire day together, and I could coach you and help you and instruct you and encourage you as much as I possibly can. This would be like Phil Mickelson saying, let's work on your golf swing. This would be like Warren Buffett saying, can I give you some tips on your upcoming investments? This would be like Aretha Franklin offering you voice lessons. That would be massively intimidating. This would be like Damian Lillard giving you tips on your long-range buzzer beater jump shot. This would be the chance of a lifetime. And most of us, of course, would say, yes. Let me look at my calendar. Let me find a day. I'll get back to you right away. Friends, let me suggest this to you. One day, the master of the art of life came to earth and said, I'd like to help you master living as a human being. I want you to come and sit at my feet. I want you to be my apprentice. I want you to walk with me every day and learn how to be my disciple. Friends, this is the offer Jesus has come to make you and I. That we can now do life with him, life with God, now and forever. That is the good news 
Life with God now and forever is now available to people like you and me. You see, the, the earliest Jesus followers understood this oh so clearly. They understood this calling, this invitation, this need that we all have to be connected to God. This is why right at the beginning of the book of Acts, right after Jesus has has risen and appeared to them and ascended back into heaven, the very first thing his followers do in that very, very desperate moment, it says this in Acts chapter 1, they all join together constantly in prayer. You see, Jesus is no longer physically with them, but they know they must stay connected to him. So they are constantly in prayer. Paul tells this to the church over and over again. In 1 Thessalonians, he says, church, pray continually. He writes to the church at Colossae, and he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Followers of Jesus, devote yourselves to prayer. Now that word devote, it's basically... A, a, a verb, katareo, that means to be steadfast, to, be, to endure, to keep going, to hang in there. But in this verse, Paul doesn't just use this word. He doesn't just say katareo. He says, and you like how I'm saying that with a little R roll, don't you? Yeah, he's, he uses the word pros katareo. And when you put the little prefix pros in front of a Greek verb, it intensifies it. It takes it up a notch. And so Paul is saying, don't just be strong in prayer. Don't just be steadfast. Be super strong. Be super steadfast. Don't just have endurance. Have mega endurance when it comes to talking with your heavenly Father. And he tells us this because he knows that prayer does something in our minds and hearts. It gives us new perspective. It helps us see the world Differently, it helps us see the world as God would have us see the world. If you look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, you'll notice it says, Devote yourselves to prayer, mega devotion to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And the idea here that Paul's communicating is that when we pray, when we are connected with God, we see things, we begin to see things that we would never be able to see on our own. That word watchful taps into some real rich imagery from the Old Testament where watchmen would literally sit on the city wall and scan the horizon and keep watch. The watchman would be the first person to see anything that was coming their way, an attacking army or travelers or traitors. The point is this. When people devote themselves to prayer... They become like watchmen. They put themselves in position to see, to see things with God they would never see on their own, to sit on a wall and scan the horizon of life saying, God, show me what's coming. Show me what you're up to so that I can be a part of it with you. You see, prayer gives us opportunities to be in partnership with God and what he's doing. Here's another cool thing. The New Testament is written in Greek, but most likely Jesus did not speak Greek. Did you know this? Jesus, the language of the day, the common language was Aramaic. Yeah, and this is what Jesus would have spoken. And the Aramaic word for prayer is the word slotha. 
or slotha. Which one is it, Carl? You don't know. Okay. <laughs> I didn't either, so we're in that together. Um, it's one of those. Here's what it means, though, and I do know this. It means to set a trap. That's kind of strange, isn't it? To pray is to set a trap. Here's, here's the point. Prayer, when we pray, when we talk with God, it helps us to catch the opportunities that cross our paths. People who develop themselves to prayer see opportunities that other people don't even notice. And this is why Paul is telling the church, if you want to partner with God, if you want to be in connection with God, you've got to pray. You've got to set some traps. You've got to seize the opportunities. And so he says, devote yourselves to prayer. In other words, pray a lot. Pray a bunch, pray a ton, pray when you're alone, in groups, in church. Pray morning prayers, mealtime prayers, pray between mealtimes. Paul says pray fervently, expectantly, and unselfishly. Pray when you're up, pray when you're down, pray when you're in a boat, pray when you have a coat. Pray when you're worried, sick, burdened, or brokenhearted. Pray when you're busy, pray when you're bored. Pray before the big game, during it, and after. Friends, at the heart of the Christian life, at the very center of becoming like Jesus and making him known, must be this distinctive for our church. Pray constantly. That is our distinctive today. Pray constantly. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells the story of a widow. And in Jesus' day, a widow would have been a very vulnerable powerless person in the society. And so this vulnerable, powerless widow is facing this unjust adversary, this person who is taking advantage of her. And in this story, Jesus says she's not getting what she wants. She's going before a judge who is blowing her off, who is disregarding her. But what Jesus says is that she just keeps going. She just keeps approaching. She just perseveres. And finally, the judge, judge relents. But even in the face of what felt like to this woman being rejected and being ignored, she would not quit. She just kept on communicating. And Jesus says to his disciples and to you and me, here's why I'm telling you this story. To show you that you should always pray and not give up. I got a story for you, Jesus says, and here's the point of it before I even tell it, that you should always pray and not give up. Now, why would Jesus tell a story to convince us that we should always pray and not give up? Here's why. He knows us. He knows that you and I will be tempted to give up. You see, Jesus knows that Sometimes prayer for us will be hard. He knows that staying connected to God will not always be natural or easy for you and I. He knows that we are fallen, broken people and that we're apt to get discouraged and bored and distracted and even at times ambivalent about prayer. Friends, Jesus knows that we might wonder things like, does prayer really even work? He knows that at some point you will probably pray a prayer that will seem to go unnoticed, unanswered. 
And you'll say, God, are you even listening? He knows we might ask questions like, does prayer really even matter? Because doesn't God know everything already? Why do I need to tell him or talk to him? Jesus knows we'll at times feel too tired to pray or too hopeless to pray or too guilty to pray. He knows that perhaps our biggest temptation of all when it comes to prayer might just be that we'll choose to rely on ourselves to not reject God, but to just kind of keep him distant or on the sidelines or at arm's length and try to walk out the Christian life in our own strength. I had my, my review, my annual review with the elder team this week. Any of you have reviews at work? Anyone here have their review with like eight spiritual giants who sit in a room and critique? Anyone have a review like that? It's a super fun experience. Um, No, actually, it really is a fun and beautiful experience because I love our elder team, and I know they love me. And they offered me some encouragement and some challenge, um, which is a good thing because we all need that. But at the top of that review, uh, the very first challenge was this reminder, this encouragement. They said, Dave, we want you to continue to regularly and relentlessly carve out time to hear from God so that you are not pastoring our church by the power of your own strength. You see, the elders know me well enough to know that that would be a temptation for me, that I might forget about Jesus in the midst of leading a church towards Jesus. And so they say, let's make sure that doesn't happen. To which I say, I thought I was hiding that a little better, and thank you. I needed that. Because, friends, just like you, even pastors can get caught up in going through life, not really connected to Jesus, just kind of walking parallel with him. Friends, this is why Jesus says to his very closest followers... To, his, to, like the, to the guys he was, did life with day in and day out, to the guys he was entrusting his church to. This is why he said to these guys who are a lot like you and me, I'd say, remain in me as I also remain in you. Now that word remain, it's, it's a thick, rich word. It's sometimes translated Abide. Abide in me. It means to stay in very deep, close, connected relationship. When you remain with someone, when you abide with them, you are deeply and intimately connected. Remain in me, Jesus says, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you stay in deep, close, intimate connection with me. I am the vine, Jesus said. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can only accomplish a little bit. Apart from me, listen, you can do nothing. Apart from me, 
in terms of God's kingdom and the work God wants to do in and through you, you can do nothing. You see, friends, this is a very serious and sober warning that Jesus is offering us. If you want to see kingdom fruit in and through your life, it can only happen when you stay connected to Jesus. Period. Because when you are connected to Jesus, friends, anything's possible. Anything is possible when you're connected to Jesus. Paul says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And that little word there, through, it's actually kind of an ambiguous word. It could just as easily mean, and I think probably does, mean with. I can do all things with Christ who strengthens me. The world can throw anything at me when I'm with Christ, when I remain and abide in Jesus, when we are deeply and intimately connected, I can handle any of it. Friends, this is why when I think about this list of distinctives, this list we're embracing as a church, the one we're talking about today might just be the most central of them all. Because this is the one that's the fuel for all the others. You want power to love extravagantly? You need endurance to hope relentlessly? You need confidence to relate authentically? You are longing for a heart that engages inclusively? Do you need courage to trust God radically? Then start here. Pray constantly. Stay relationally connected to Jesus. Remain in him. Abide in him. Let him nourish you into the kind of person that God longs for you to be from the inside out. You see, this distinctive, friends, is not as much about making sure you say your daily prayers as it is a calling to live the with God life. The the with God life that Jesus came to offer. Listen to how we're saying it. This is our statement for pray constantly. Read it with me aloud if you would. We seek constant conscious communion with our Heavenly Father. One more time. We seek constant conscious communion with our Heavenly Father. Now, some of you recognize that language right off the bat. Some of you are here and you're thinking, constant conscious communion, they can hardly spit it out. Like, what is that? Others of you are going, oh, yeah. And here's why, because this is a phrase that goes all the way back to the foundation of our church. Did you know that our church was founded in 19... 40. Cedar Mill Bible Church began as a home Bible study. 1940. How old were you in 1940? I was negative 34. <laughs> I was feeling super good. Um, shortly after our church was founded, a pastor by the name of Al Wallen came. He was here for 30 years. He was kind of the, the pastor that really established Cedar Mill Bible Church. It was like a powerhouse community for the kingdom of God in this area. And Al used to say this little phrase all the time. He used to say, to live the, con- the Christian life, to walk with Jesus, to stay connected to the vine, we need constant conscious communion. I remember when I first came to Cedar Mill, Pastor Carl, who pastored here for 26 and a half years before I did, told me about Al. 
And I remember sitting at breakfast with Carl and him talking about Al and the kind of man he was and the kind of relationship they had and the way Al supported him and loved him and how Al had kind of infused the congregation with a number of things, one of which was this little phrase, constant conscious communion. And so as I thought this week, because this statement here is a reminder to us as a church that these distinctives are not new for us. That we stand on the shoulders of many who have walked with Jesus for years and decades before us in this very church. And that the things they valued in Christ are some of the same things we value in Christ. This is not a departure from who we've been. It's an extension of who God is calling us to be in this day. And so we're choosing these words, constant conscious communion. And to kind of hear a little bit more about that, I thought, man, it would be really fun to hear about Al the guy who kind of authored that little phrase. And so this, actually last week, I went over to Pastor Carl's house and I sat down with him just to have a conversation. I said, Carl, tell me about prayer. Tell me about Al. Tell me about constant conscious communion. It was just a beautifully wonderful conversation and we got a little bit of it on video for you. So take a look at the screens. Hey church, I'm here with Pastor Carl, uh, right here in his dining room. He's graciously invited me to come over and have a conversation with him. We're kind of in the series where we're talking about seven distinctives and yeah. whittling it down to seven, as you can imagine, has been yeah. tough, but also a really rich kind of exercise. Yeah, it's great. Say, it's what great. are the core seven things we want in this season to define us? And today we're talking about pray constantly. Yeah. Well, I think for me and probably for a lot of people, the word prayer is... It's almost a strange kind of word. I mean, we interpret it in different ways. Usually, it's some kind of some kind of religious thing that you do. You know, for years of my life, when if you would use the word prayer, I would have thought in terms of prayer meetings, or every day you should get up and pray for an hour. You know, right. like prayer times, disciplined prayer times. And I was really bad at both of those. You know, so I just you know they were difficult, and it took a long time for me to realize that. You know, the Bible does talk about those things, but not so much. Um, I think what the scripture talks more about is this daily relationship of walking with God. When you came, first came to Cedar Mill, yeah. many, many years ago. A long time ago. <laughs> when you first came to Cedar Mill, you followed in the footsteps of a guy who was kind of larger than life in yeah. a lot of ways, especially in the life of our church, a pastor by the name of Al Wallen, and really kind of established Cedar Mill. Uh, tell me about Al. I know you guys had a special relationship. It was really obvious to me from the very beginning that this is a man who walks with God. You know, he, he, he wasn't full of pretense. He was, he was humble, but he was passionate uh, about God and about the church. And, and he loved on us for years you know, and prayed for us constantly. He was known for a lot of things, yeah. uh, but one of maybe the primary things was this little phrase that he used to say a lot, oh, yeah. Yeah. constant conscious, conscious communion. communion. Yeah, yeah. Talk about constant yeah. conscious yeah. communion, what it means. That was a treasure in the life of the church. I had so many people 
repeat that to me. Mm -hmm. And they would say, that has helped me to learn how to walk with God in a genuine, authentic, humble way. I think the struggle is constant. The word is constant. Can you do anything constantly? But I'm constantly in love with my wife. I'm not always with her all the time. I'm not always talking to her all the time. That's a constant reality. It's a life reality. The word conscious, I think, is maybe the more difficult thing of just consciously being aware of God all the time. And I don't think he expects us to always be whispering prayers or thinking prayers or talking to him every moment of the day. It's just conscious is an awareness. I have a God, and better yet, God has me. Now you're traveling around the world, ministering to pastors around the world, seeing kind of the global church. You're also in a season where you're dealing with some health challenges. And I want to know how those things have maybe refocused or reshaped your your prayer life, your constant conscious communion with Hmm. the Father. I think one of the things that that helps us to pray is need, the realization of need. Nepal is where we're focused these days. And as soon as you get away from the capital city, Kathmandu, you go out. There are no there are no doctors, there's no hospitals, there's no medical care, there's no ambulances, there's no no medicine. So when your baby gets sick, what do you do? You pray. And they have just been raised in that. They wouldn't think any other way. You pray. You pray first. A few months ago I was diagnosed with really significant cancer. It's spread uh, all over my body. So a diagnosis diagnosis of spreading cancer does help your prayer life. So I'm I'm praying about things, I'm praying about my family and all those things, but for me it's really about a realization that I have a father who is there all the time, who is waiting to talk to me, you know, or listen to me, and he cares about everything that's happening in my life, everything. It's an opportunity. It's now this this phase of life that God's given to us. Mm-hmm. So we want to walk it well. Well, thanks for the time. Appreciate Thank you. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate you so much. For me, this is what Carl said. I thought this was a great statement. It's really about a realization that I have a father who is there all the time, who is waiting to talk to me, to listen to me, And he cares about everything that's happening in my life. Everything. See, there's this invitation for us to have constant, conscious communion with our Heavenly Father. Jesus comes and he says, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, You can now, here's the good news, you can now be in relationship with the God of the universe now and forever in me. You can walk, you, an average ordinary human, can walk with God. And you think about the scriptures and the people in the Bible who lived wonderful lives, not perfect lives, but wonderful lives, And this is really what defined them. This was the characteristic above everything else that defined them. There's a man in Genesis chapter 5 named Enoch. And Enoch, we're told, walked with God. 
Then we're told God is with Jacob and he's with Moses and he's with Abraham and Sarah and he's with Ruth and he's with David. And then time and time again, it said about Joseph, and the Lord was with Joseph. And I think we read those stories and those statements and we kind of think like, yeah, he was there, just kind of floating along behind them. It's not what I think the scriptures are saying. I think the scriptures are saying that these are men and women who lived in that deep, intimate, constant, conscious communion with God. And because of that, they could do things with God that other people were unable to do. They were able to take risks and trust radically and love extravagantly. Why? Because they were in constant, conscious communion. You know, the main reason that God's people... We're told in the scriptures can be free of fear and the main reason we can face life with hope is because of this very statement. Listen to this from Joshua 1.9. This is God talking to his people, talking to people who have chosen to walk with him and follow him. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Friends, what if we believed this and actually started to live this way? What if we believed that walking with Jesus, being a disciple, was actually meant to mean that we would walk with Jesus? The message today is, I hope hope maybe you're picking up on this already. This is the most simple sermon I've ever given. Here's the sermon. Jesus says, you can walk with me, and now what we're called to do is to actually walk with him. Amazing. What if instead of just checking in with God weekly or on the daily or periodically and then going off and living life on our own, we actually determined that we were going to live our whole lives with him, that we were going to invite him in to all of our days and activities. Wouldn't that change things? Wouldn't that change you if you were just constantly, consciously aware of God's presence with you in all things, at work, on the road, at home, during that argument with your spouse. Oh, there's Jesus sitting right there with me, watching, listening to what I'll say. You know, I looked up this word communion this week. Here's what communion means. The interchange or sharing of thoughts and emotions. Intimate connection and communication. See, that's what Jesus is offering and inviting us into, the with God life. It's life every day and throughout the day with Jesus. Life at home, life at work, life at school, life on the road, life doing mundane household chores, life having hard conversations, life when we're eating and exercising and watching television, life when we face decisions and temptations and opportunities. All with Jesus. This distinctive, friends, the one we're tackling today, says Jesus wants to do it all with you. He wants us to constantly and consciously be aware of his intimate presence with us at all times and in all things. So how? How do we do this? Because I think this is an area where you might agree that we all could use some help. We could all grow and improve. Because this is so important because 
Learning to live our days with God is perhaps the most important spiritual skill you can learn. Think about that. Think about all the spiritual disciplines and practices. This one might be the most important spiritual skill that you can learn, and it is not beyond anyone in this room. One of my favorite pastors says, a disciple is someone who arranges his or her life around being with Jesus to learn from him how to be like him. And friends, let me suggest to you that this practice starts in a place you might not expect. Let me suggest to you that the place where this starts is at night. You know, it's interesting when you look in the scriptures that biblically, when does the day begin? In the evening. At sundown is when the day begins. You think back to Genesis and the creation narrative, right? And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And there was evening, it's repeated, right? And there was evening and morning the first day. This is why in Jewish life, the Sabbath begins in the evening when the sun goes down. Eugene Peterson says, this is so significant because beginning our day with God at night is intentional. It's designed to remind us of something. And that something is this, that my life with God does not primarily depend on me, what I do and what I will accomplish. Listen to this from Psalm 127. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for God grants sleep to those he loves. You ever thought about sleep as just a gift from God? Have you ever thought about sleep as just one more place where you can choose to trust God? I go to sleep and I can choose to trust God, that he'll be at work, that he'll handle not only the running of the universe, but the running of my life and my house and my family, even while I slumber. You see, the with God life begins with me saying, God, I'm going to go to sleep now. And before I do, I just want to tell you I trust you. I trust you to handle things. I trust you to continue to be God and Lord. And because you love me and because you are with me, because you are handling things now, I can just get a good night's rest. And so we go to sleep as as followers of Jesus to rest with God. How many in here really sometimes just need a good night's sleep? Why don't you try instead of just trying to do it on your own or taking a sleeping pill. Try to just rest with God. Rest in Christ. See how that might impact the way you sleep. So we rest with God and then we wake up and then we join God in his work. But see, the point is this. He's already started it. While we were sleeping, he was working. And so I begin by going to sleep. And then I wake up with God because, as the writer of Lamentation says, his mercies are new every morning. Or in the Psalms, this is the day the Lord has made. This is God's day. His plans, his purposes. Now I'm just joining in with him. That's a Jesus-following perspective on engaging a day. Or in Psalm chapter 5, verse 3, I love this one. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. I can't wait to see, God, what we will encounter together today. 
And the idea is that right from the get-go, we tune into the fact that we aren't alone and we enter the day not with fear, not with anxiety, but an expectation of what God will do. And then we don't just go off on our day by ourselves. All right, God, it was nice spending time with you this morning. I'll see you tonight. Kind of like my kids going off to school, you know, see you when I get home from school. No, that's not how we do life with God. We go with him. There's a great verse in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, 16. It says this, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I love this because one of the ways to think about your day is just a series of different needs. Here's a question. When do you really need God to live well? Think about that for just a minute. When do you need God to to be the person that God longs for you to be, to really live well this life following Jesus? One author says this. We need God to live well. When somebody makes a comment or uses body language, I might take the wrong way. When a problem at work is beyond my wisdom, when my child might incline me to worry, when my thoughts drift toward envy or resentment or disobedience, when I'm afraid about money or a conversation I need to have, when I'm ungrateful or bored or lustful or afraid, when I need to be unhurried or non-irritated. On the other hand, when I might miss an opportunity for love, an opportunity for joy, an opportunity to experience peace amidst chaos with God's help, when I might miss the chance to bless somebody at Starbucks or in the next cubicle, when I might squander the precious gift of time that God has given me, time to make memories with friends, time to enjoy my family. Friends, how many moments of your life would get better if you were receiving wisdom and guidance and peace and gratitude from your heavenly Father? When is our moment of need from God? Every moment, every moment, and let me suggest that we must be intentional to live this way. We must lean into people who are seeking constant, conscious communion with our Heavenly Father. What if every time you got in the car... What if buckling your seatbelt was a reminder? A moment when you just chose to intentionally remember, God, oh yeah, you're with me, you're here. Let's touch base about my day, how I'm feeling, how I'm thinking, what I'm up to, what my driving will be like in just a moment. What if at work, every time there was a shift in your schedule, a meeting or an appointment or a new task to tackle, what if every time your schedule shifted, you just paused for two minutes, you built in two minutes of margin and did a check-in with your heavenly father? A friend of mine recently shared that he has a buddy who has been trying this, that he's been setting his phone alarm every 15 minutes to go off to remind him to move into a time of prayer. He said, you'll be talking to this guy on the phone and all of a sudden you'll hear the alarm going off in the background and then he'll say, "Um, would you pause with me for just a moment for a time of prayer? (laughs) And my buddy who's a pastor said, it's super annoying. Um, So maybe don't do that. But we were talking about that this week in our staff meeting and that short story was shared and we were all kind of laughing about it. And then Pastor Bethany said, I wonder how long it would take to not need the alarm clock anymore. Mm. 
You see, that's the with God life. And some of you might be there. Some of you might have this down. You don't need the alarm clock. You don't need the intentional reminders. But I'm guessing most of us could use a little help with this. And that's your homework this week. If you didn't know I could give homework in church, I can. Your neighbor will be grading next week. We'll exchange papers. I want you to wrestle with and think about implementing some reminders into your daily schedule to practice constant conscious communion. What would work for you? What could remind you throughout the day to be mindful of God, to talk to God, to stop and listen? What are you up to right now, Father? What are you doing in me? Why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? What is happening around me that you want me to notice? In Luke chapter 11, Jesus tells a story about a man who goes over to ask a friend at midnight for some bread. And I have to understand that midnight in the ancient world where there was no like street lights or electricity, that was like the middle of the night. That's probably more like 2.30 a.m. our time, right? So this friend, he comes over, and he needs to borrow some bread. He's out of bread. He's got some guests that have come in unexpectedly. He came over to borrow bread at midnight. And in this story that Jesus tells, the, the neighbor, the guy who he's requesting the bread from, is kind of put off. He's actually super annoyed. He says, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. That's his attitude. That's a biblical attitude right there. But as the story goes on, because this guy is persistent, because he just won't quit, and he just keeps on communicating, finally the friend gets out of bed and gets him some bread. And so the point we generally make is this. Hey, if you, you know, God is like, going to probably be kind of bugged at you if you have some needs or some requests, or if you need to talk to him, especially if it's an inconvenient time for him. He's going to be super annoyed, but if you just keep bugging him, eventually he'll relent. And I'm going to tell you that is not what the scriptures are saying here. Because Jesus goes on after this story to say this. He says, now let me talk to you. Let me talk to you. This is a story about two people. Now let me talk to you, followers of mine, you people who walk with God. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So Jesus is saying, yeah, ask, ask, ask. And then, which of you fathers... If your son, if your daughter asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. You see, what Jesus is saying here is you are not the annoying neighbor in the story. He's saying this neighbor even gives bread to his annoying neighbor in the middle of the night, but God doesn't see you as the annoying neighbor, He sees you as His son. He sees you as his little girl. And so your requests don't bother him at all. In fact, they delight him. Tim Keller talks about this and he says, it's kind of like the difference between a neighbor up the street knocking on your bedroom door in the middle of the night asking for a cup of water. Now, hopefully that would not only frustrate you, it would actually creep you out. <laughs> I hope this doesn't happen. But he's saying it'd be like that as compared to your little four-year-old girl tapping you on the shoulder and saying, Mommy, Dad, could I have a glass of water? Do you see the different response there? 
Jesus is saying, God sees you as his child. He longs for you to communicate with him. When you have a need, when you have a struggle, when you have a concern, it doesn't matter what time of night or day it is. He says, I long for you to be in constant conscious communion with me. In fact, I am so eager, I so long to be relationally connected to you in a constant and deep and intimate way that I went to great lengths. I sent my one and only son to die on the cross and defeat death and raise to new life so that you and I could be once again united again in relationship so that I could do life with you and that you could do life with me and that we could be together. That's how much I long to be connected with you, Jesus says. That I'll go to the cross. And friends, that's why every single week we gather, we gather together around this table, around this meal, around this bread and this cup. It's a reminder to us that God went to great lengths so that he can have relationship with us, so that he can know us, so that we can do life together. This table is a moment where we come and we remember, oh yeah, oh yeah, God wants to do life with me. He made a way to do life with me. And I've been kind of doing it on my own. I've been kind of going back to self-sufficiency. And once again, I need to make this declaration to invite him in, to lean on him, to walk with him. Friends, maybe you're here this morning and you've never made a decision to walk with Jesus. Here's how you do it. You say, I want to walk with the God of the universe. I want to be his son, his daughter, his child. I receive the gift of salvation God offered me through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, that made a way for me to step into relationship, to step into the new with God life, a life filled with joy and peace and patience and challenge and adventure and faith and community. This table is an invitation to step back into that relationship again or even for the first time if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you've never stepped into relationship with the God of the universe, you come to this table and you take the bread and you take the cup and you eat it and drink it down and you say, I receive the death and resurrection of Jesus for me. I declare that you are Lord, that God, you are God and that I want to walk with you. This morning, we're going to leave a little extra time for you to just to do some business with God. Because I know as soon as you walk out of here, life gets busy and crazy, and constant conscious communion starts to get pushed farther and farther back on your priority list. So before you rush out of here today to lunch or to the football game or whatever you have going, sit for a minute in that pew and think about what it would look like to walk with Jesus to walk with your heavenly Father. 